Hey folks, and tonight's episode is brought to you by YesPleaseVintage.com. If you're in the States and a fan of vintage and upcycled housewares and clothing, give YesPleaseVintage.com a check for clothing, jewelry, homeware, and some really awesome finds. So go check them out now at YesPleaseVintage.com. And currently, if you spend over $60, you get free shipping on all orders. Hello and welcome to episode 78 of the Asian Cinema Film Club. I'm your host as always, Edward Jones, and joining me of course is the Professor, Mr. Stephen Palmer. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Tonight we look at the South Korean horror, Our Point. Uh, but before we obviously get into that, it's uh, time to ask what you've been watching. And Stephen, I believe it's been a quiet week for yourself. I'm going to let you down because I've watched nothing but Come Dine With Me and we're not going to talk about that on this show. <laughs> <laughs> no, just talk about our Come Dine With Me podcast. Oh, mate. That don't 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 even encourage me. Um, that's my guilty pleasure. You've got your wrestling. I've got my cooking. Well, shows. That's... <laughs> um, yeah, as for myself, I mean, I've kind of been sidetracked because Arrow players started to remove titles, so I've been basically binge watching all the last one trios that they have on there. So it's been a interesting week, uh, to say the least. But I did actually watch Sailor Suit and Machine Gun. Um, the original film that is not because this is a film which uh, manages to spawn uh, spawned two TV shows and a, I believe two films as well. Um, the original film though uh, released in 1981 um, is directed by Shinji Soma. Uh, basically follows a young schoolgirl who finds herself inheriting her father's Yakuza clan when he uh, dies suddenly and finds herself thrust into the Yakuza life as she finds the family under attack from a rival family looking for a batch of heroin that her father apparently has been smuggling. Um, this was a film that we were very excited for it coming out, mainly because it was a title I don't think Giva was a really sort of heard of and certainly the title and a lot some of the concept uh, artwork looked very exciting for this one but sadly it's kind of a middling affair really um it starts off really strong obviously with this uh school go zoomy being thrust into um the yakuza life there's this great scene where she like all her Yakuza henchmen like turn up at the school and uh, the school think that the mobsters are there to take out the school so she ends up being expelled and the whole time while she's carrying out her Yakuza business she's wearing a Sailor Fuku um, but not as like traditional Japanese school uniform we're all so familiar with and the title itself I mean it links to about 30 seconds of footage right at the end so don't get too excited that you're going to see this schoolgirl going around kicking a lot of ass and brandishing a machine gun because it really isn't the case here and instead it's kind of like a light-hearted romp there's some interesting bits in it such as a scene where she goes to see one of the rival their rival family bosses and ends up being strung up on a crane and then dipped up and down like a dip down lorry into what I assume is a vat of cement while her family decide to take revenge by taking the boss's son and basically hitting him with a phone and trying to drown him in a fish tank um, 
which is probably one of the few highlights of this movie other than the main evil boss this who at this point has been seen to be having no legs he goes around in a motorized wheelchair suddenly pulling off his fake false legs to reveal that he can actually walk for no reason apparently so um, this is on Arrow Player, including the director's cut as well, which I haven't seen. I've only seen the original cut, but as I said, it was kind of middling. So I was a little disappointed in this, but I suppose the bonus, obviously, with Arrow Player being in that I get to see this and not end up with a disc on my shelf that I'm never going to watch again, probably. Unlike me, who bought this when it came out and it's on his watch pile and now you just put it to the back of the you watch You may pile. like it, as I said. It's, um, I, I do quite like the artwork on it, but that, that was that's an expensive way to collect artwork. I'm, <laughs> as I said, it may just be my mood. I'm, you know, I've watched a lot of Von, no, I've I, watched, watched a lot of Von Trier movies and been very tired. So. <laughs> yeah, you must, be, you must be bloody depressed. Surprisingly, it's like, when you watch Von Trier movies, it's sort of like, um, reminding you why you enjoy cinema the same as when you watch Wes Anderson movies and I find the two have got a very similar directing style as I highlighted to yourself this week I mean they both have that love of the cutaway and bringing in obscure subjects into their materials and the only difference being that while Anderson's about the whimsy Von Trier is about the darkness um, that's the main sort of division role between them and I think saying when you watch Von Trier's movies it's reminding you of like why cinema is exciting why you why we all sort of like um have this interest in cinema which we have which you can kind of lose focus of when you hit that sort of patch of like very sort of middle of the road movies or if you watch just a lot of mainstream cinema um you can sort of lose why uh cinema holds such a grasp and i think you watch something like von trier's melacoma or the house that jack built and it's like oh now i remember I mean, he's he, he's not a director I've watched an awful lot of, although obviously when we had a little chat before the show, I realised I had seen a fair few yeah. of his movies. Um, but nothing that recent, of it, I mean, I'm a, a, a Breaking the Waves and yeah, the earliest stuff Dancer in, in the Dark, um, well, obviously because I'm a Bjork fan, I was always going to watch that, but they are. <laughs> Von Trier's not a Bjork fan though, <laughs> that's for sure. No, apparently not. <laughs> he even kills her, well, or maybe, kills her character or off mid-song. Although he is also accused of sexually harassing her while making that film, so there's many things that that uh, follow Von Trier around. He's a director who says silly things. He he, he is, um, um, but 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 I know what you mean. In the, you know, I think we are both fans of directors who can I use a horrible term from French cinema criticism auteur. Um, you know, somebody who makes films that are clearly his films with his style, his um, his structure. Um, obviously, he, he he went and wrote that down in a manifesto. But you know, you talk. You know, many people would say, "How can you compare him to Wes Anderson?" But I get it. I get it because similarly, they are interested in the form, in how to. They're very, you know, they're very different, but they have a set style. And I did joke to you, didn't I, earlier in the week that I'd see a, I'd happily see a Lars von Trier version of Matilda in oh, stop yeah, motion. You, you actually convinced <laughs> me that, that there was going to be a Matilda directed by von Trier, and I think it's because Del Toro's announced his Pinocchio this week. Yeah, but it's like, believe- oh yeah, that <laughs> that lines yeah. up. 
But it didn't. But it didn't. It doesn't sound like too crazy a thing, does it? It, it that, that that that's the point. It doesn't. Um, and I think it's also when you look at the fact that you got like Burton doing like um, like Alice in Wonderland and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It's sort of like, oh, here's another kooky uh, director doing a take on a children's book. I mean, even like Wes Anderson's done his kooky ass takes on like uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox and. I think there's uh, another did, one on the way as well. I think he'd done another one, and of course, Isle of Dogs was in that format. I love Isle of Dogs. I've watched it once, and it's because of Brian Cranston. Um, Brian Cranston, kind of after Breaking Bad, it's hard to see him as anything other than Walter White. <laughs> um, so when he's like trying to do like light roles, when you see him as like Hal on uh, Malcolm in the Middle, and it's like it's like no, this this just seems really weird now. Or, or Dentist Watley on Seinfeld. Yes, exactly. Which is really, really weird. <laughs> well, he becomes, he becomes Jewish just for the jokes. That, yeah, he's, and he's a re-gifter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tim Watley, that's, that's oh, the name. Oh, yeah. gosh. Anyway. Which, which is the other thing I've been doing. I have now watched nine series of Seinfeld pretty much back-to-back over, since Christmas. Yeah. For the umpteenth time. Well, it was was it this Christmas was like the first year that I became ever aware of everyone really getting into um, Festivus. Festivus, yeah. the uh, the airing of grievances, or otherwise known as every podcast we do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, this isn't the show to talk about Simon, but that's like from season nine, the final season, and I I, I am always floored by how that show after you know from the third season onwards managed to maintain quality yeah even when larry david left up until the end i mean i know a lot of people don't like this finale and all right so you, you discount that the finale and you discount the the clip show which precedes it but it's absolutely freaking solid there's so few bad episodes and i you know i couldn't tell you something sort of fairly contemporaneous with it. it's like friends right i really there are episodes there are scenes there are moments in friends i watch i've watched all of them but they're not as culturally significant as things in seinfeld to me but there's nothing that entertains me like that but yes so but i need to get i need to get back on the watch because that watch list is getting crazy um I haven't watched another one of the Shaw scopes. I've got Godzilla's. I've got Gamera's. Yeah. I've got Dijamins. I've got a host of Arrow stuff, regardless of things which have been years out. <laughs> like like tonight's film. It's taken me 15 years to get around to watching it. It's what I've said this year. I'm not buying um, stuff. I'm working the subs, going through the watch pile. It's like the year where we finally watch and read and play everything that's just sat there gathering dust for god knows how long um i i wish i had that self-control it's called i need to replace my laptop and if i keep pissing my money away then i ain't gonna be able to do it (laughs) that's that's very true give yourself a reason but um yeah i mean like i said before i think i said last episode I'm, i'm i'm trying to go back and look at films i watched back as a teenager or early 20s, like when I used to go to the cinema twice a week. And, and, and these are classic films like Ocean's Eleven or Pretty Woman or was it Sliding Doors I have watched this week. And I'm <laughs> Well, that was const- an essential watch, wasn't it? So. 
Well, I'm constantly surprised about these, especially the comedies, how dark they all are. <laughs> just, I just don't remember them being. I remember going to the cinema, seeing Sliding Doors, having a nice time, rewatched it again this week, and it's she dies in one of the timelines. <laughs> And in the other timeline, she spends the entire time dealing with cheating boyfriend in a in a version of London which is only populated by Americans and Irish people. It's yeah, dark, dark, dark. I, I mean, again, it's another thing I'd like to maybe go back and look at. But I'm 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 logging it all as well on Letterbox Day to try and keep up with you and the rest of the podcasting community this year. Yeah. So I've managed to watch something like thirty six films already, and we're only. We're not at the end of January yet, so I'm doing all right. Yeah, that's good. But, but yeah, that watch pile is becoming scary. You just reminded me of something, so I've now actually figured out what I'm gonna what I'm gonna pick for our next episode now. Just because you obviously reminded me about the watch pile and looking at it, something just immediately jumped out at me. So excellent. Well, we'll find out at the end then. So that's something to look forward to. Um, Good. But before we obviously get into that, it's time to obviously look at tonight's feature of Druin, which of course is our point. Now, our point is another of those uh, titles that came out part of for ourselves over here in the UK. Came out as part of Titans Asia Extreme, so it came out really in the uh, sort of not only in the boom of the the the, the new uh, Korean cinema wave um just came in that whole asian horror sort of boom although our point has always felt like a kind of like a b plus player it came out at sort of like the height of popularity but it never really grabbed hold of anyone and i think the sort of where you had like all the a plus players like the ring and audition battle royale to an extent you had the the eye which was kind of like the middle ground and then you had like our point and the doll master the aisle those ones which, you know, people were excited for when they came out, but then they just never had anything to sort of, like, hold them in place. It was not like like when we look at Tetsuo the Iron Man, which people are still talking about now. Um, mm. These films just sort of, like, came out and, for whatever reason, we were forgotten. And as a director as well, uh, Kong Su Chang, I don't think has really ever managed to sort of really capture audiences' attention the way that he did with our point i mean prior to this he did do tell me something which i saw once when it was um shot on film four as who at the same time who picked up um the for once they did like a block of just uh the new the new asian cinema wave and they had like old boy and lady vengeance and um they should tell two sisters our point and tell me something so um hmm. i mean i was I was thinking, I mean, in the end I didn't, but I may still do. I mean, we talk a lot as Brits about that tartan and, and specifically the Asia Extreme imprint inside that as being a real, uh, sort of really important to us. It's not just you and I, it's the guys over at Eastern Kicks as well. Yeah. We're of a certain age and it was the flag waver for... J horror, Hallyu wave, whatever you want to call it, and not just that. Tartan also brought over some great European movies. Things like Man Bites Dog, I think, came over as part of as a Tartan yeah. release, and and sort of that sort of and and 
and I, yeah, and I was, I was looking at websites. I mean, there's people who are obsessed by it who are still trying to compile all the releases that Tartan put out because there's a lot of there's like multiple versions of Taylor Two Sisters and Audition that came out later, and and they weren't very good at giving them individual sort of serial numbers and things like that release numbers so I've, I've been down a bit of a rabbit hole but i think i think i'll probably have a i do a little mini a mini a mini doc on that for the show at some point because it's really important because there are there are others they weren't the only people but they were the real flag bearers and although they did miss ring you know audition was their no they had their ring. first drill oh they no, they had ring yeah, but they got it they... after well after ring was released the... so it wasn't the flag bearer like audition was because i remember like the three titles that we always say spark kicked off like you know the asian revolution um again for the uk this was especially because it was like ring audition and battle royale and it was like those three and they were all under the asian tartan um extreme extreme tartan label so and yeah you're right tartan did um do a lot of world cinema i mean they they did man bites dog which is really good and i think in many ways, they were picking up some of the stuff that wasn't getting picked up by Artificial Eye, who were like mm-hmm. the main player in town because you had Hong Kong legends who did all like the Kung Fu movies, all the heroic gunplay stuff. Then you had Artificial Eye who were kind of like uh, the world cinema kind of leaned into the art house. So you had like Free Color, the Free Killers trilogy, and you had Nikita, um, Subway. A lot of those sort of titles would come out through Artificial Eye. And then obviously Tartan came along and they were sort of like the first of that new wave of labels who were stirring things up. And unfortunately, because they create this, this J-horror boom, uh, you had all these other sort of imprint titles turn up like Tokyo Bullet. And um, I think Warrior was another one who did uh, the Lone Wolf and Cub series. So they would put out these very sort of grimy releases of, of things. Uh, on DVD and they kind of unfortunately it was missing the host I think was what finally um, proved the breaking point for Tartan and it's ironic really because I think Optimum picked up the host and all these labels that sort of like came after Tartan like uh, pretty much all disappeared until more recently when we had like Firmwinder Film, Terracotta um, Arrow who were for the longest time were the underdogs and then they suddenly picked up Tartan's back catalogue and and now they're like you know the main player in town, aren't they? So, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, them and Terracotta and Third Window are all part of the same group now, aren't they? They are. They've got some deal that I don't understand. Where were they? <laughs> they're like powered by Arrow or something. They put out this whole thing because we had the London riots, and I think someone's warehouse got destroyed, and then they ah, banded okay. together to to create this, and then obviously. As well as them, you've got like 88 films, you've got Shameless, you've got Eureka, you've got Masters of Cinema, even BFI have got um, a label. Um, mm. But I think all of it can just be traced back to Tartan um, as being like the ones who yeah. sort of get. I mean, I, th- I think I think Tartan, in the, I think maybe just before Tartan, not for Asian cinema, but for cult cinema, obviously we had Redemption just a little bit oh, earlier. With who Jess had Franco. This- obsession well they they did all sorts of things and basically anything um with um ladies with boobies basically but a lot of horror stuff um even th- but things like Haxon was released on redemption but they had a really nice visual style all all bar one of the covers i mean i got some of the one you know this is back in the vhs days but that concept of 
you would collect potentially every release that that group went out i think tartan had the same feel to it they weren't just like, like a generic we're just chucking stuff out it was important to us oh there's a new tartan release. oh yeah now, unfortunately yeah unfortunately they over committed and they basically went bust after about about 10 years and even though they kind of still exist today as tartan palisades it, it's not it's not the same um and and yeah i would say now as an asian cinema fan as a cult film fan you know um you know enjoyer of of italian giallo enjoyer of um nordic noir especially arrow are with their various sub labels are there you've got third window doing some of the more quirky stuff and terracotta just seem to Terracotta still seem incredibly random to me. <laughs> Terracotta um, are sort of like heading up the streaming game at the moment for mm. like Eurasian cinema. And yeah, I'm never t- too sure because Terracotta, they've put out some interesting stuff. I mean, they obviously did like King of uh, Fist, and, Fist and Dollars, they did House of Traps. Um, yeah, I'm just always, I'm never too sure where to put uh, put Terracotta, but I'm, I'm glad they're there. Oh, I'm you know, and it's good. And you know, the releases are fantastic. Those Arrow releases, the effort they put into them. There's one or two bare bones ones which sneak out, but usually you get some kind of restoration which looks amazing. You'll get a documentary. I mean, not always a big fan of the people they have. If I see another Tony Rains monologue, I'll shoot myself. But could be know, worse. Sometimes well, yeah, but sometimes you get someone like Tom Mez coming on or something like that and doing the doing the um, doing a commentary on a Takashi Miike film, and that that's always worth listening to, right? Um, and but they just look spectacular. Um, I would give a shout out to Eighty Eight Films, though. I think some of their stuff's amazing, although equally as random. Mm. <laughs> but, um, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's just a really important label. And our point was one of those ones that came out. And I, you're absolutely right. It doesn't have the... It didn't come with the cachet of the big three. It didn't come with the cachet of some of the others that came out. I want to say Itchy the Killer was on Tartan, but it maybe wasn't. Um, um, yeah, Itchy the Killer was on, uh, was on Tartan. Because yeah, they did all the BK ones, really. They, they Apart did. from like full full Metal Yakuza, they didn't do and Agitator. I want to say they didn't do, but I know that they did. They Gozu. did do lay, They they did lay lines as well, bizarrely, which doesn't really fit with yeah that kind it's of part extreme, of the, uh, Shinjuku Triad Society. Yeah, yeah, but that was it was a single release, um, which d- didn't feel very extreme to me. Um, I also oh crikey, what was I thinking? they had these sort of real second rate ones at our point I mean I, I didn't know until today or until this week what what I really knew about our point although people talked about it but you've got things like cello and the wig and things like that which are <laughs> you know they're, they're this low rent Korean horror and also they really went to town so Kim Ki-duk's The Isle they fought and fought to get that release done cut with fish abuse included because spoilers people when you catch a fish you have to gut them mm. but um, <laughs> they weren't too worried about the uh, the fish hooks in the in, in human beings but uh, fish being gutted it's always a thing isn't it that the the bbfc have always had an issue with these fish being gutted the, yeah the animal cruelty is something that the 
the BBFC frown on. Um, it used to be obviously a lot worse um, prior to mm. James Furman leaving because he used to have a lot of things such as like chainsaws and eastern weapons um, and blood on breasts that <laughs> used to used to really ire him. And the fact that Texas Chainsaw Massacre was banned with for just the word chainsaw being in the title. Um, yeah, I always remember you couldn't have shuriken and things like that. Like you say, Asian weapons, very Eastern weapons, let's yeah. call it that. Um, but yeah, anyway, um, so I, I've always thought, oh, I must watch that film. And I picked up a couple in a, a copy for 50p. In a, I'm going to call it CEX because I refuse to call it sex like they want you to call it, which is, I guess, the premier sort of second-hand media brand, brand in the UK these days? Yeah, it's owned by Charlie Brooker. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. This is so it, normally this is we'd sort of go there. Line, uh, we're not warping our minds with Black Mirror um, <laughs> okay. and dating Connie Hughes off Blue Peter. Well, no, he's married to Connie Hughes, should I say. He is. She, well, she writes Black Mirror. She, she started Black Mirror with him. Um, <sighs> yeah, I mean, CX is like this place where you go in and and sell at a derisory price all the DVDs you've bought <laughs> or computer games. I mean, that's what I use it for because I'm a retro computer game guy. I'll go in there and um, buy GameCube games and things like that because they sell them. Um, and then I'll go upstairs in the one in Reading and there's a tiny little Asian cinema thing usually full of 15 copies of Audition and, <laughs> um, and, and, and some manga and so anime collection but volume two <laughs> you make it sound like that episode of fair up for the summer harry works the video store and it's like and here's like 1200 copies of johnny mnemonic <laughs> it is i i do think it's a bit like that because also how many copies of fifa 12 can possibly oh, yeah. exist in the world <laughs> <laughs> whenever they have a new soccer game and the fact they can't even give them all <laughs> there's certain ones that it's just rows and rows and you think why do you accept these things and uh but yes anyway it's it but it's fun because there used to be more places like that so i used to live in portsmouth which i know is close to where you are and and i was i was at uni there and there was a shop where i would go and buy secondhand records secondhand game boy games and secondhand um video cassettes and it would be the highlight of my week and i'd spend like two pounds get a giant bag of crap it's probably still got half of it now but i could spend eight you know ages flipping through it and just trying to find that nugget of gold and cex does have a bit of that i wouldn't go there to buy a mobile phone or anything which they seem to have plenty for sale because i doubt the provenance of a lot of it a lot of blood stains <laughs> I I think a lot of it is fenced goods, but also another place if you want to get a Wii U, it's a, it's a, it's a standard place to pick up one of them. But yes, no, it's I I, I like it because occasionally you pick something out. I'm getting our point for fifty p. I thought bargain, and it was a tartan one, and I thought oh, that gave me a lot of um, nostalgia. Mm. However, then I watched it. <laughs> but let's do the. Let, let, I'll let you do the pricey as normal. Okay. Um, obviously, the film itself is set in the Vietnam War, where the South Korean base in Naja Trang uh, receives a radio transmission from a platoon that has been 
marked down as uh, missing, presumed dead. Um, in turn, they bring in the veteran and decorated Lieutenant Chow, who's going to lead a squad of soldiers um, into basically extract the missing soldiers from this location known as our point and they've been given a week to do it with many of the soldiers being promised that they're going to be sent home not on a boat but on a plane with a hot stewardess who will serve them juice this is apparently is all it takes for you to be roped into going on a mission with a lieutenant who's got a reputation for every time he goes into on a mission that they will see combat and violence, um, including one of the soldiers remarking that they saw a photograph of him holding the heads of two of the Viet Cong. Um, he also has a real Steve McQueen in the Great Escape vibe to him, as he's often seen playing with his uh, baseball that he throws against the wall and catches. But the group all head off to this R point only to find strange things afoot um, as the group find themselves being haunted by the spirits that uh, reside within this temple where they've set up their base as strange things continue to happen to them. Um, so Stephen, uh, what did you think of this one? I mean, this one has been re-released as Ghosts of War, if you are the Tartan Palisades uh, release, but obviously it's better known by its original title, Our Point. Um, and this is a 2004 South Korean release. Um, they describe it as a psychological horror wartime film, according to Wikipedia, but I would just say it's more just a ghost story set in the Vietnam War. And there's not... A huge amount of um, horror films set in, in war. I mean, obviously, in the West, we've got a few examples, such as, like, Death Watch, um, and you've got, like, Overlord, and uh, even, like, uh, Frankenstein's Army. But in terms of, like, the uh, foreign films, I can't think of too many examples where it's sort of like a war movie and a horror film. No, I mean, there's Dog Soldiers as the other one, which brings to mind, although it's not really set in war, it's just happens the to training have soldiers exercise. in it. Yeah, um, and obviously, for, 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 you know, friend of the show, Zoe, that's like her favourite movie, isn't it? Other than the one where someone fucks a corpse. Um, <laughs> Necromaniac. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you remember that Edward Yang film, The Terrorisers? Oh, yeah. Which you didn't like, mostly because you couldn't work out who was who and this is what I feel about our point okay other than the lieutenant who has clearly got some well it's not really a backstory but it's hinted at right and he's got some unique things he does I do not one of the problems with a war film is everyone's dressed the same and quite often by by design they'll disappear into the <laughs> into the foliage and without characterization and hiding people in the same uniform putting hats on you know helmets on them so you can't even tell their hairstyles apart i couldn't tell you about any of these characters there was one that was a cook i think but maybe it was a cook i don't know and so i really struggled to give a shit about any of them and then the film decided not to give a shit about me <laughs> because it didn't really it was just like loads of scenes and there's no story really there's it's a shaggy dog tale at best um but there are moments in it like the final sequence 
well, the sort of that 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 final sort of Reservoir Dogsy style shootout, which I thought were really good. But I have no idea. Were they being haunted by the girl that they didn't kill at the beginning? Were they being haunted by the ghosts of some previous operate? You know, this 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 lake that maybe got flooded, or did some Chinese soldiers kill them? Or I I haven't got a clue. It was just and and, and sometimes even. Like there's a scene early on where the lieutenant, I can't remember his name, but the lieutenant is sort of being approached by his boss, I suppose, who is the most laid-back military figure I've ever seen. And he sh- literally shifts to the other side of the room so the camera can have a different angle on him. <laughs> it's just really amateur. Um, but there are moments of... Look, but yeah, it was just a lot of blokes dressed the same, shouting and kicking each other a lot. Yeah, it does... Am I I being mean? No, no, no. (laughs) I think definitely the case, unfortunately, it's a very sort of... This group of very young soldiers, and a lot of them have the same sort of personality of of each other. Um, Randomly, many of them seem to be hanging out in this hospital for venereal diseases. Um, As we're introduced to them or having their, like, health checks. And... um, (laughs) <laughs> it's quite amusing the doctor's like going around remarking and like saying that some guy's got syphilis while the young nurse is point is made to go to crotch level to look closer at it um, yeah I mean again you know that that whole thing doesn't mind removing the classic and everyone with their bloody feces that they had to do <laughs> yeah but the yeah, classic so, also so went I, to Vietnam didn't it? <laughs> it, did, it did indeed but there were no ghosts there They're just cursed jewellery yeah, people just ruining themselves. But, yeah, I mean, that's what I mean. There, there are scenes in there which are either funny or scary. I mean, that I, I don't understand. I think three of the soldiers came from there. And I, I, I do wonder if we're done a misservice by the um, subtitles in this one as well. Because I'm sure we're missing stuff. Um, I don't understand. Were they going to go get sent home? Um, what happened... What was going on at the beginning? So we, we meet the lieutenant and he's having some downtime and then somebody in the hotel room next to him has sex with a Vietnamese girl who turns out to be some kind of rebel agent with a gun. Yeah. But she's pretending... She's and, and he's dead and then he... But I don't know where that comes from. I think it all plays into some kind of backstory. I just, just, I, I'm not the smartest guy, and but it does take a lot for a film to utterly confuse me, and and I don't, but I don't think it was trying to be deliberately obstructionist. I think I think I think it just wasn't put together. Very no, well. it's not particularly well. From what I gather, really, is the turn joy joy we obviously see has that shootout with the rebel agent at the start and it creates mm. this whole this whole um incident and he's facing court-martial unless he agrees to go on this mission to find the missing platoon because he's a senior officer uh, but at the same time he's also got this sort of legacy of of uh getting into conflict wherever he goes so they're the one he ropes in to go and find this missing unit who by all means, they're supposed to have disappeared because the one survivor member of the unit says that he got all their dog tags um, and that they they were definitely dead, but for some reason they're still sending radio messages out. 
asking for assistance out at this R point. And along the way, we obviously have a little bit of a fun shootout sequence. Um, and they discover a Vietnam need woman next to a Wico corpse. As well as a tombstone marking that this lake um, was basically um, filled in a hundred years ago by the Chinese who killed the Vietnamese in the area and built this temple on it. However, in doing so, they managed to curse the land so that if you go there and you've got blood on your hands, which obviously they have because they've been involved in this conflict with uh, the Viet Cong on the way over, um, you can't go back. So essentially they're trapped in this purgatory. Um, which basically acquaints them just being harassed constantly by ghosts who just spend the whole movie messing with them and the whole film taking place over five days that their mission is supposed to take place as they become increasingly sort of paranoid. Um, they start seeing... They keep lose track of like who's in their group as um, one of their group... Well, their group they seem to be with them actually turns out to be a ghost. Um, and they keep having all these various sort of mishaps with it, which leads to some interesting set pieces. We get uh, some interesting visuals in there as well. And we get the spooky ghost woman who seems to be like, um, she's kind of like the Sakura of this thing. Yeah, I mean, she looks like, she looks like the girl from The Ring. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but there's... You know, I'm not going to criticise it for that. There's a thousand films with long-haired ghost girls, kind of long-haired ghost girl in it. You know that I'm not that, and, and Ring wasn't the first. So let's 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 be let's be fair to it. Yeah, I I, I get it. They're in. They've they've gone to some. So our and also our point is apparently like this island off the coast of Vietnam, Romeo Point, isn't it? That's yeah. what it stands for. And I get it. They've gone to that. They're in purgatory. Um, I just found it really hard. I found uh, what was the American fellas doing? What were they about? Well, apparently they're they already dead. They're based in the area, and they've already set up camp on the second floor. But it seems that they're also ghosts as well, mm. um, because we seem to have all these these people who sort of like um, come they come and go. We get a transmission from a French unit who are supposedly stationed nearby, but we find out that. They're also dead because um, one of the characters stumbles upon the mass grave of these characters. Um, so yeah, it's it's we got these ominous warnings, but at this point it's basically too late because they've already come into this area with blood on their hands, so they're sort of stuck where they are. Um, but yeah, it, it the problem is it. It starts off so well and it plays its cards really close to its chest and then it just sort of falls into this very sort of traditional sort of ghost story horror trope sort of thing where, you know, the ghosts are basically there tormenting everyone, driving everyone sort of mad rather than being like, you know, the poltergeist sort of malicious spirits or um, appearing in like zombie form or something like that. It's just more just this idea of uh, this this group being isolated and driven mad by the um by the spirits that that haunt this temple mm. um yeah it, uh, is it a temple or is it or is it a mansion again it, yeah um, these 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 things it just everything confuses me <laughs> it's what, supposed to be a temple because there's obviously all the uh, statues and stuff which yeah again makes no sense it's all like you go out into the middle of nowhere and you're 
putting in elaborate statues and building all this. There's nothing for miles, it seems. Um, mm, which you do find. So, like, when you go to Thailand or somewhere like that, you'll go out on a trip, like a, a trip with, like, some organised tour party. And then suddenly, some giant Buddha, just, and I mean giant, mm. <laughs> will just be there in the middle of nowhere. And I'm, I went to a place... Oh, actually, I know. I went River Kwai, you know, the famous bridge over. Um, <laughs> like me, when I went to Vietnam and just visited like war zones, it's sort of like you go to places that were in like Vietnam movies, so you go like Da Nang. It's yeah, like no you, one wants you, to go to Da Nang. <laughs> but you sort of visit, you visit somewhere, and like, oh, so tourist attraction is there's this bridge that doesn't re- that they never finished or they blew up. Also, by the by, there's a thirty foot. Buddha, you know, like a Stay Puff man. <laughs> apropos of nothing, you know, there's no, there's no clear, obvious society. And now I'm thinking of Daijimin. <laughs> I must be very careful. I don't want to offend any um, Buddhists out there, but it's very strange. But yeah, just, you know, I, I kind of get it. And I wonder if I watch the film again, and just understand it as the psychological and supernatural torture of men who've done bad things in war. Would I enjoy it more? But again, they have they really? It just seemed like you got a bunch of because a lot of them said that they haven't really seen conflict. The only conflict mm. they've seen is is this brief skirmish they have with what assumed to be two. Um, members of the Viet Cong in, in the woods on the way over to the temple. So a lot of these guys going in aren't like innocents. I mean, only obviously the the uh, sergeant is, is like the only one who's sort of seen. Ser- well, sorry, the lieutenant, shall I say, is, mm. um, is the only one who's seen serious combat. And I mean, he's been stationed in Vietnam for three years at this point. So while everyone is getting sort of ready to ship out of the country. Um, he's sort of like been hanging on there for whatever reason. Again, it's not really explained. And I think this is the other downfall is the fact that there isn't a sort of like clear sort of definition between these characters because normally, even like in the war film, you've got the variety of characters. You normally got like the older soldier, you've got the young upstart, you've got you know like the uh the cool guy or something you you've got something yeah to, you've got you've got you've got these you, characters you'll ha- you'll have tropes the the career soldier the criminal who's had to go there to escape from being in prison back home the young guy who's there i mean there's there's something there's a guy there's one guy who you know they he basically says he's underage when he signed up and he took his brother's place Oh yeah, he's the one he who the guy, sold his medical the, certificate to buy his mum for a cow. That's right. And you think, well, that's kind of interesting. And then I'm not convinced they do a lot with it. Is he the guy that survives to the end? He is, isn't he? He spoilers. It, it's um, it's really hard to say because as I said, they're no, I I, I believe he's the one who survives to the end because he probably is. But although he is in the STD clinic, so I I. I don't know. I don't understand. And it's so frustrating because there are elements of this film which are really, really well done. Oh, yeah, yeah. like the um, when they find the radio and then they're all sort of doing some really questionable dancing to that 
surf rock and they like yeah it cuts into like the the screams of the um it turns into like this last recording of the platoon um it kind of reminded me of like event horizon mm. when you find out what happened to the crew <laughs> and there's um uh, there's the um you know the very final scene is the radio bleeding displaying their what are they called something three mole three is it yeah I think is that so. what they, yeah you know so it's clearly their group are now calling out to attract others to this place and you think yeah that's really kind of cool but you should have done more with it i mean like i don't know does they come across the American, don't they? Well, the one American who's meant to represent many, isn't he? <laughs> and who's a pretty bad actor, but you get used to that in, in Asian cinema, don't you? The, the Westerner turns out, <laughs> just happens to be there. I'm not an actor, I'll just do it. But I'm not, it's unclear to me how long they've been dead. Because the they don't do enough with like the, the makeup and stuff to or zoom in on it we just don't see enough and that's okay because i think in asian horror you know we're used to that don't quite show but do some sharp staccato strings or something in the background to tell you you know and hide it behind hair and things like that but yeah just... i mean it sort of even goes either way doesn't it you either get teased with with the idea of what you think you see or you mm. just go all out and you have things like grotesque um which is still uh, yeah in, indeed in UK, indeed it? certainly in korean cinema though it's normally it's normally yeah. sort of tell don't show um the 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 more extreme stuff we'd definitely see we've you know obviously we have seen in japanese cinema <laughs> the cinema of the extreme and that we've seen in the in some of those uh herman yao cat three films um you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see a lot more, though, sort of dowsing it in buckets of blood sometimes hides the, the true horror. But, I mean, this, this, there is just this whole sub-genre of sub-par Korean horror movies. And then there's these really fantastic ones on top of it. <laughs> That's, this, was, this was just disappointing because... I don't know. I just thought there was a bit of quality about those initial yeah, Tartanasia extreme Russell films. Being a big fan of this, I mean, you've seen this before, right? Find read the cover, and it's funny. Like when you read the uh, Full Metal Jacket meets Blair Witch. Oh, I guess both involve people running around in the woods. Mm. Um, just again, that's from Front, who are no longer there. There's a quote from Hot Dog. I wonder who wrote that. Probably me. Um, this is the thing because I was handling like when this came out. Obviously, um, mm. all the Asian cinema stuff, all the this sort of thing wasn't the hip thing. So they used to pass it down to the people lower down the chain. So uh, <laughs> it's funny when you look at it. It's still like I think yeah, total film on there. They still exist, but yeah, Hot Dog no longer exists, and neither do Front. So. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a it's it's a shame, but I I don't want to be too down on it because I mean that final scene where they're all sort of look pointing guns at each other and shooting, and it turns out that one of the characters is some reanimated corpse, and other shit goes down, which I just couldn't even keep up with. And I think that's quite well done, and that's full of tension. It's just all these other things. 
I mean, maybe I guess I'm guessing they're all in their own personal hells, and it's all sort of playing out on them differently. So rather than there being a single ghost or thing that's getting them as a group, they're all being killed off by their own private stuff. I, 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 I'm making excuses for it. I've got to be honest with you. I was incredibly disappointed. And even though this was my pick, this is now my terrorizers. <laughs> That's an interesting, <laughs> interesting take. I mean, I wouldn't say it's um, as bad as that. And I think mainly because this one actually gives me bits and pieces uh, to really sort of hold on. Like, I mean, as I said, I like the opening. I like the scene where... Um, they one of the uh, soldiers they find hanging from a, a rope after his blood drenches another soldier who just happened to be looking up at the wrong moment. Um, those, those little bits and pieces in it, but at the same time, it's gets so lost in its own concept and the fact that these characters are so interchangeable, it doesn't really help at all either. So, I mean, I mean, honestly, there's the lieutenant, there's the sergeant, and then there's everybody else as well. Well, you I'm say concerned. that, but I mean, there's like looking obviously at the cast list here. Everyone is a sergeant. So you have got the lieutenant here, played by Kamu Singh. Uh, sorry, Kamu Song, um, and then everyone else is like, like Sergeant Rock, Sergeant Cook, Sergeant Park, <laughs> Sergeant Young Su. And so like, you go down it. The only people who aren't sergeants in this are like the two corporals. <laughs> Who are who aren't on the base, um, right? But you know the one I mean—the one that does seem yeah. to be the one with proper experience. I also I'm not convinced that the Korean Army has ranks of sergeant and lieutenant, and so I think some of that is because it's. I did try looking it up, and I went down a rabbit hole of military ranks, which was confusing the shit out of me. Private corporal. Sergeant, um, and then I know if you get flight on your on your title, yeah. you're onto a good pension. Um, but yeah, so th- but there's different there's different ranks in different countries in different services, and in Korea, obviously because it's a Confucian society, there's a whole. It's even more wild, and, and I don't think you necessarily have the difference between a commissioned officer and a non commissioned officer, which is what we have here, and. It doesn't. I mean, I think this leads back to this film has definitely. I don't think the subtitles are doing it justice, but quite clearly, no one's re-released it in the last fifteen, seventeen years. Um, I, I don't. We'll probably find out now. Arrow are putting it out again next week, and they'll do a two K um, restoration of it, and there'll be brand new subtitles and it'll all make a load of sense and someone will be on hand to explain it to us. <laughs> but I think you're right. I think it's, I think they are, uh, yeah, thinking about it, they're all in their own private purgatory. That which is, uh, you know, it's like, it's like watching Lost. <laughs> Every, everyone's on an island, but they're stuck in purgatory. But instead of having to wait, watch it for six years, it's only, it's less than two hours and everyone's in the army. There we go. Done. <laughs> Very good. Um, yeah, I've got um, nothing else I can really, really add to it. I mean, it's worth—I don't know if it's even worth a curiosity watch. I mean, if you like ghost stories, I guess it's it's worth uh, worth watching. But again, when it comes to like, yeah, if you if you if you like Korean horror and everything that comes from that, like the tension, the ghost girls, the—I mean, there is a lot of blood in this, I suppose, and it's you know, it's kind of unique to be set in the military world it's 
and it cost me 50p. Was it 50p's worth of value? Hell yeah. But I could tell you 15 other Korean ghost films from that era that would be better investments. Mm. <laughs> oh. um, right, well... That brings us to the end of tonight's episode. Thank you, as always, for listening. If you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to be listening to us. And please let us, uh, you know, leave us a rating. Click, um, let us know what you think of the show, as it all helps raise the uh, profile of the show. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Come and say hi to us. Let us know uh, what you think we should be watching. And before we go... I think it's time to announce that we do have a very special themed month on the way. As for those of you who enjoyed the fun and games of Takashi Miike month, you'll be happy to know that we have another month coming. And in March, we're going to be doing Anthony Wong month. As we do 31 Anthony Wong movies in 31 days. There'll be the usual recaps as always. And probably some questionable film watching as well. But that's all coming up and we will be able to be putting... Let me, let me let me just mention this is Elwood is watching all these films. I hope I've seen half of them <laughs> to talk to him about. I I got um, a list because I put it out on the on the Twitter and I said you know what should we be um, be watching and you forget what some of these what some of these titles <laughs> are and obviously. How many rate? How many rate by an angels oh, you have to watch? So funny, he, I just think there's going to be a lot of disclaimers. On some of these yeah. episodes. The, the, the wonderful thing about Anthony Wong, and we've talked about him multiple times yep. on this show, and, it, and you know, I, th- I think I, I'm not doing it, you're doing it, but if I was to pick an actor that we could get a real breadth of films, and the guy has done everything from horrible, schlocky Cat 3 to horrible, schlocky Pre Cat 3. <laughs> to really uh, to gangster movies to really solid supporting actor roles to even I think he's been in a British film or two yeah he's um, in The Mummy he's, 3 he's, he's in The Mummy 3 as well which is I assume the American film Jet Li's yep, in that I'm one as well you. yeah so I think he was in a British drama or something I, I will have he to was. look it up but um... he is half Welsh of course which is always a bit weird. Um, but yes, what it should mean is, so whereas your Takashi Miike month, I think, drained you a bit, because even though there is a, quite a variety of his movies, I think uh, watching a director in a, all those films in a row must be draining. At least you know that you can watch a film where either Anthony Wong is starring or is in the background. I mean, there's a couple of... I'll have to look at your list. There's a couple of performances like... um. Uh, like Jay Chu's Secret, um, he plays, oh, I can't remember the role he plays, like the dad, or I think, of Jay Chu in it. And he's fantastic. But he's nothing like, and he's sort of like the sort of dad you'd like, but he's nothing like the fellow who's spreading AIDS around. Oh, the Ebola syndrome. Mullet. Jesus yeah, that's Christ. come up. Uh, <laughs> what else have we got here? Oh, Rape Trap. Um, hard- yeah. He's, he's in, in Hard Boiled, which I'm def- very excited to rewatch. Um, and he's definitely in one of the Rape by the Angels yes. movies. I, I, 
I don't think he's in them all, but he's definitely in at least like four or three or seven. <laughs> he's in a he's in a bunch <laughs> of Young and Dangerous. He's in the Infernal First trilogy. Yep. He did Erotic Ghost Story two. He did Hard Boiled. He did Full Contact. Um, he plays mm. a lot of villains. He plays some deadly cops, uh, like in Beast Cops. He's um, also played uh, some mentor cops as we saw in Infernal First, where he ends up getting thrown off a roof. So. That's where mm. being a good guy gets you, apparently, in, in Asians. Yeah, well, he struggled, didn't he? I mean, we'll talk about it more back it down in March, but he's a interesting-looking fella, and he really struggled to get roles, both because he wasn't the handsomest man. I don't think he's particularly ugly, but but also because of his um, half-castness. He, um, he struggled to get roles. I don't even know if that's a word, but you know what I mean? The fact he is Eurasian, he struggled to get leading roles, but He's in. He must be in half the Hong Kong films that have come out since. He, yeah, he's definitely a big, big uh, factor in a lot of the Cat Free movies. I mean, he said himself he hates a lot of the movies he did in like the seventies and eighties, and he only took them on because it meant that he could support his family, which is fair enough. But at the same time, every movie he's in, like Michael Caine, he's providing an interesting performance. Whether the movie's good or not is beside the point, but he's always a very interesting presence, and I think he's an actor since I watched Beast Cops um, that I've been really sort of obsessed with, and I think Beast Cops is really a film that I'm going to look forward to discussing. We'll obviously be also highlighting one of these films on the show, so we'll be giving the full episode treatment as well, but we will be doing uh, the recaps every week as well, where I will get a rundown of what I've been watching, and Stephen will either be able to wax lyrically and give us loads of interesting facts or say yep yeah, i haven't seen that <laughs> <laughs> yeah like the takashi Miike came up now i've i've long you know since before this show i've been a huge anthony yeah. long fan so i i approve of your choice um i can't think of many others that would give you 31 films that wouldn't also give us other problematic issues i'm thinking of eric sang or someone like that who we could potentially do the same number of films, but then we'd have to talk it's, about the fact that Yeah, it's sort of like when you're doing a for 31 days. I mean, obviously, when we did Takashi Miike, it's in Japanese. Japanese is, for myself, it's a lot harder to follow than Cantonese. Um, Cantonese is a, lot, a little easier on the air, and so is uh, Korean for that fact. I just find these films a little a little lighter uh, than, than Japanese is. It's the same as if you were with German cinema. I think German really heavy compared to like French cinema. Yeah, and the same way I like watching Spanish cinema because I feel I understand it. <laughs> I can't. I can't speak a word of Spanish. I do watch a lot of French films, and I can sort of speak French, you know, at a, at a stretch. But yeah, I don't. I, I find myself not necessarily looking at the subtitles. I was so much um, French and Spanish. I was films. picking up my French during during lockdown, and then I got so annoyed with the male and female pronouns of things. So it's just like an orange is female. It's like no, an orange is an orange. Um, that I went and just distracted myself by learning Portuguese instead. So, well, that's always useful if you're ever stuck in yeah. Brazil. The language is smugglers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, I look forward to that. What are we doing next week? Next week, um, I've actually, I did have a film in mind when I was coming on to the show, but since we talked about my watch pile and films that I've not seen in it, we are going to be looking at a Park Chan Wook movie. And I believe you've seen this one already, but we are going to be looking at The Handmaiden, which is his um, adaptation of Fingersmith. Oh, 
Interesting. That's a film I have problems with. So it'll be a very good discussion. I'm be interested to see what what it is. Um, obviously, Fingersmith is by the same author of Tipping the Velvet, and the BBC did a straight version of that. This is obviously the Korean period drama version of it. I know team member Steph is a big fan of this one, so it'd be interesting to see how your opinions line up against hers. Mm. No, yes, I won't. I won't spoil it. But yeah, good choice, and and probably one that was on my long list to bring to the show anyway. So. A twisted psychosexual Ex- thriller with explicit content. Ooh, it 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 it's a really good thriller. You wait. I'll find yeah. out when we some. Uh, there, there, there is there is a scene which we will have to talk about. <laughs> you will never have seen a scene like that before in your life. <laughs> Um, and Mark Mo calls it a breathless whirl of cinematic exuberance. A whirl. That's a weird thing to say about the thing. No, it's got twists and turns in it that you don't expect. It really is. And it's got a fantastic sort of breakout performance by the young female lead, who I think's probably gone on to do much, well, not much better things, but other things. It was, it's a really exciting, yeah. I, as for the second time tonight, I approve. <laughs> As if it matters. <laughs> there you go. You see, if you base your viewing off what Stephen approves, there's another one for you. <laughs> there's another one for you. Anthony Wong movies, The Handmaiden, not our point. Certainly looking forward to diving into the Anthony Wong um, gift catalogue, which has to be like one of my favourite Twitter feeds. Anthony Wong gifts, or one word, um, where they just post gifts of Anthony Wong and they're all brilliant. Excellent. Um, but yes, that is all coming up on our route through the year. But uh, obviously, in the next episode, we will be looking at Pachan Wook's The Handmaiden. So until then, thank you as always for listening. And thank you to my co host, Stephen. And uh, again, join us next time for The Handmaiden. Good night. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.